Hello, and welcome to Notes in the Week Ahead, a JP Morgan Asset Management podcast that provides insights on the markets and the economy to help you stay informed in the week ahead. Hello, this is David Kelly. I'm Chief Strategist here at JP Morgan Asset Management. Today is July 10th, 2023. Over the centuries, an abiding tension among many major religions has been the pendulum of severity. One era will be marked by a relaxed view, where smiling clergy make liberal allowances for minor transgressions. However, this is often followed by a puritanical reaction, wherein the flock is warned that the path to salvation is an exceedingly narrow and rocky one. The Federal Reserve seems to have undergone a similar transformation in recent years. Long gone are the days of average inflation targeting and praise for the beneficial effects of a super-tight labour market. Inflation is now the eternal and infernal enemy, and the Fed will yield no quarter in battling it. The week ahead could be called Inflation Week, as the government releases key reports on consumer, producer and import prices. It would perhaps be more apt to name it Disinflation Week, as all of these reports should show price pressures diminishing. However, despite this, Fed officials have made it clear that they expect to raise the federal funds rate at least two more times before the end of this year. But as they examine this week's numbers and polish up their sermons on the evils of inflation, they'll have to scrap passages on supply chains and commodity prices and water down their remarks on shelter, core services x housing and inflation expectations. This will leave them with really only one substantial argument for further monetary tightening, namely that a tight labour market is causing excessive wage growth and that this could sustain inflation above their 2% target. It is frankly a poor excuse for risking recession. However, regardless of the timing of the next recession, inflation looks set to continue to fall. This should set the stage for much lower interest rates in 2024, supporting stocks and bonds and allowing the dollar to resume its long overdue correction. Reports on Thursday and Friday should show consumer prices, producer prices inching forward on both a month-over-month and year-over-year basis, and import prices now declining by both yardsticks. However, investors will be most focused on CPI inflation. We estimate that headline CPI inflation was three-tenths of a percent in June compared to 1.2% in the same month a year ago. This should cut the seasonally adjusted headline rate to 3.2% in June compared to 4.1% in May and a 40-year high of 8.9% in June of last year. Looking at the details, there should be a pretty pronounced disinflation trend. Energy prices may have edged up slightly in June relative to May on a tick up in gasoline and natural gas prices. However, both should show dramatic year-over-year declines and stability in global energy commodities, along with gradual improvements in refining capacity, could lead to relatively stable consumer energy prices going forward. Food inflation has eased over the past three months, following a long period of extraordinary increases. Global food commodity prices fell for the 14th month out of the last 15 in June, reflecting improvements in supply chains and relatively soft global economic growth. This should continue to flow through to lower consumer food inflation, particularly as lower and middle-income households try to limit spending after the end of government pandemic aid. Outside of food and energy, core goods prices should also be held in check by improved supply chains. Mannheim wholesale used car prices fell for a third consecutive month in June, while new vehicle prices were roughly flat year over year, according to J.D. Power. Core services outside of housing, which have seen stubbornly sticky inflation in recent months, could see lower inflation in June and over the next few months, 
as much steadier vehicle prices tame huge recent increases in auto insurance and auto repair costs. Finally, shelter inflation should continue to ease from very high levels as an increased supply of multifamily properties continues to moderate rents on new leases and, with a lag, reduces both actual rental inflation and increases in owner's equivalent rent in the government's CPI data. Meanwhile, inflation expectations have moderated. The May Philly Fed survey of professional forecasters implied an expected average CPI inflation rate between now and 2027 of just 2.43%, while the gap between five-year nominal treasuries and five-year tips as of last Friday implied a five-year CPI inflation rate of 2.22%. In the 20 years prior to the pandemic, the Fed's favourite measure of inflation, the personal consumption deflator, so average annual inflation running 3.32% below CPI. This being the case, it appears that both forecasters and investors expect consumption deflation inflation to essentially hit the Fed's 2% target. Adding it all up and looking forward, following a decline to 3.2% in June, we expect year-over-year CPI inflation to move sideways to the rest of 2023 before falling steadily to 2% by the end of 2024. This is really a very benign path for inflation. However, those who would like to see a swifter decline could point to wage growth as the key remaining impediment. And there are signs that wage growth is more sticky. Having fallen from 5.9% year-over-year in March 2022 to 4.3% in March 2023, wage gains have been four-tenths of a percent month-over-month over the past three months, nudging the year-over-year gain up to 4.4%. It's also true that solid wage growth could slow the decline in consumer inflation, both by boosting consumer purchasing power and increasing business costs. However, there's really very little cause for alarm in these wage gains for a number of reasons. First, wage growth is likely to moderate. Job openings are gradually falling, diminishing the excess demand for labour, while recent months have seen a significant decline in the number of small businesses planning to increase compensation. Strikes driven by wage worker demands for higher pay remain relatively rare. Moreover, to the extent that wage increases represent compensation for past inflation, employers will be able to argue for lower cost of living adjustments going into 2024. Second, wages are supposed to increase more than consumer prices. In theory, in equilibrium, hourly compensation growth should equal the sum of the increase in output prices and productivity gains. In the 20 years before the pandemic, output per hour in the non-farm business sector grew by 1.9% per year. Even allowing for some faster increase in benefits than wages, wage growth that is 1.2% higher than the year-over-year CPI inflation rate is not excessive. The fact that it's unusual reflects how accustomed we've become to a shrinking wage share and a growing profit share of national income in recent decades. Third, expensive labour can act as a spur to business to invest in labour-saving technologies such as robotics and artificial intelligence, an encouragement to the government to increase legal immigration, and an incentive for people to rejoin the labour force, all of which should increase the dynamism of the US economy in the long run. Finally, gains in real wages are likely to be a relatively short-lived phenomenon. While the economy looks increasingly likely to dodge a recession in 2023, further Fed tightening in a full employment economy makes a recession starting before the end of 2024 more likely than not. When this occurs, labour will once again be at a distinct disadvantage of the bargaining table. It is very unlikely that a tight labour market will be sustained long enough to permanently increase the wage share of national income or permanently cut corporate margins. Still, for now, the Federal Reserve intends to fight inflation, even if the only remaining issue is sticky wage growth. 
Regardless of the inflation numbers this week, they seem determined to raise rates again at their July 26th meeting and perhaps once more before the end of the year. However, eventually the economy will stub its toe and the Fed will have to reverse course. The higher rates are when this occurs, the bigger the Fed pivot will have to be. And this should eventually return us to an economy with slow growth, low inflation and much more moderate interest rates. This should ultimately support both US equities and fixed income and allow for a lower dollar, adding to dollar-denominated gains in overseas assets. Well, that's it for this week. Please tune in again next week. And if you have any questions in the meantime, please reach out to your JP Morgan representative. This content is intended for information only based on assumptions in current market conditions and are subject to change. No warranty of accuracy is given. This content does not contain sufficient information to support investment decisions. It is not to be construed as research, legal, regulatory, tax, accounting, or investment advice. Investments involve risks. Investors should seek professional advice or make an independent evaluation before investing. The value of investments and the income from them may fluctuate, including loss of capital. Past performance and yield are not indicative of current or future results. Forecasts and estimates may or may not come to pass. J.P. Morgan Asset Management is the asset management business of J.P. Morgan Chase & Company and its affiliates worldwide.